This sermon, Your Gender is the Handiwork of God, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, September 17th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Open your Bibles to Genesis 1. That should be easy. (laughs) The very beginning of your Bible. This week, if you're visiting with us, uh, we have spent the summer preaching through the Psalms. This week we begin a new series. In about six weeks, we're going to begin preaching through the book of Judges from beginning to end. This week we begin a series that we've titled The Final Word. Uh, gender, marriage, and complementarian roles according to the Scriptures. Uh, you heard, if you were here last week, an outstanding sermon by Eric Terbetsky, our regional leader and, and, and senior pastor at our church in Old Town Orange over in the L.A. area. But he talked about how the Christian life is about being on mission. We aren't just Christians. We, we weren't saved by God's grace to just be in heaven one day. He has made us ambassadors, if you will, uh, megaphones in his in his hands, he has chosen to make his appeal through us. That's an amazing and stunning uh, proclamation when you really think about it. So that is why we're here. This is about mission, and I don't need to tell you, but increasingly, the culture, indeed the government at times and in different ways, is making that mission increasingly more difficult. Even the church today is making the mission more difficult. If you're familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, this last convention, it, it amazed me at how much time they spent talking amongst themselves about whether or not women could be pastors. The culture creep isn't just out there. It's the culture creep because it is finding its way in different ways into God's church. The good news is that God has spoken. Whether it is complementarian roles in the home and the church, whether it is what a true marriage is, whether it is uh, roles uh, of a husband and a wife, or it is what we all abide, well, by the way, we will be addressing over the next six weeks, or it is today's topic, the topic of gender, the ideology that we know is transgenderism. Whatever it might be, God has spoken. We're not just left to the voices filling our ears out there. God has said something about these things. And so today, today we begin to look to God's word to see what he has said. Now, I just want you to know if you're a parent, I have worked hard this week to be careful, knowing that you have children in the room with you, to be careful about how I speak and the words that I choose. And I don't think that you're going to walk away going, boy, that was inappropriate. However, I am aware of this, that for some of 
your children, I may be introducing a new category. And so I just want you to be prepared for that. Uh, there may be some discipleship, fathers, that you need to do this afternoon over the dinner table. There may be some conversations you might need to have this week with your kids. But we preach God's word. We preach God's word as God has spoken to us, aware, aware of what is appropriate and is not appropriate. So with that said, I want us to jump in to Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27, here we go, a new series, the final word. Would you stand with me? Like Paul did so many times when he discussed topics as we're going to be discussing in this series, he went back and quoted the, creation, the creative order. He went back to Genesis, and it's where we begin this morning. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, we come to your word now with humble hearts. We, we, need, we need to be fed, and we need to be fed with truth. And so, Lord, we now ask in the name of Jesus and according to the power of the Spirit that is at work in us, Lord, would you strengthen our faith through your word? Would you correct our wrong thinking and behavior through your word? Would you sharpen our testimony as a church through your word? And would you draw anyone in this room who does not know you to your son, Jesus Christ, that they might receive eternal salvation and joy? In Jesus' name, amen. The book, The Gender Revolution, begins the chapter, Who Am I?, this way. The author says, until very recently, if a person announced that they hated their body so much that they wanted to mutilate it, the community around them would have united in trying to comfort them in their distress. But no one would have encouraged them to go ahead and harm their body. In fact, if someone tried to help the distressed person harm themselves, they would have been labeled an enabler and would have faced a public outcry. The enabler might have honestly believed they were helping the distressed person. They might even have said, what's the problem? I'm just assisting them to do what they want. It's their body, their choice, right? But the community would have responded no way. That person has a perfectly good, healthy, and beautiful body. Damaging it is not going to solve their distress. What we need to do is help them realize and accept the goodness of their existing body despite the challenges it may present to them. 
how things have changed just over the last decade. And frankly, they continue to change. By the time this sermon is done, there will be new terms that we need to figure out. There will be new entries into the dictionary. Things are moving at warp speed, particularly when it comes to the sexual revolution, particularly when it comes to the transgender movement. Today, today, listen to this, we are legislating and celebrating child mutilation and castration. Today, we are writing laws that criminalize objection and refusal to affirm one's self-chosen gender. Soon, it will be a hate crime to express your beliefs in biological sex. In schools, universities, and workplaces, people demand that others recognize and embrace their declared pronouns, and in some states, you're prosecuted if you don't. We are renewing dictionary entries and medical journals, not based on science or empirical evidence, simply to, simply to accommodate and validate the transgender community. The newly appointed Supreme Court judge, Catania Brown, when asked to define a woman during her Senate hearing, said she could not. Teenage girls are being forced to change and shower with teenage boys, and they are labeled bigots, ostracized, or punished when they object. In schools, a secret world exists that is intimate and perverse, where teachers are helping children transition their gender without their parents' knowledge. If a five-year-old boy hates t-ball, he must be a girl. If a five-year-old girl loves t-ball, she must really be a boy. And if you, the parents, don't comply, you are open to, the, to claim to accusations of child abuse. The umbrella term for the various sexual and gender identities that started as LGBT in the 90s is now LGBTQIA+, and is growing to accommodate everyone's inner psychological desires. Now, that's just a little bit of what is going on. Transgender ideology is dangerous, destructive, and demonic. It is consuming our culture and even creeping into our churches. What do we do? What do we do? In the words of the dean of our Sovereign Grace Pastors College, Jeff Perswell, stay close to your Bibles and the cross. Stay close to your Bible and the cross. And that's what today, indeed, this entire series is about. It is about taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. God has spoken the final word on gender. 
and here it is. Your gender is the handiwork of God. Your gender is the handiwork of God. Your gender is not the, the work of human hands. It's not, the, it's not the result of social constructs. It's not the fruit of, of your perceived reality. It is the perfect handiwork of God. And so we are going to see that in, in this text this morning. By, by, for those of you who take notes, three points. God created us. God created us in His image. God create us male and female. We'll spend most of our time in the third point this morning. But let's look first at what is so clear in Genesis 1. God created us. If you read through Genesis 1, there is this unmistakable rhythm. There is this pattern, and it is this. God created. We are introduced to God for the very first time, and what is he doing? He is creating. He is creating things. And in verse 26, that pattern continues. And notice how our text starts. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And then in verse 27, notice what it says. So he did. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created. God created God created. You get the point. God created you. God created human beings. He created the human race. This is the starting place of any and all self-understanding. That is the creator-creature relationship. It reminds us that I am not an accident. I did not evolve. I am not self-made. God created me. I am the handiwork of God. And that has, that has tremendous implications. Not just in the topic today, but, but in every way. It means that I am not my own. The first thing established in Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27, is that I am not my own. I am dependent on God. I am accountable to God because he created me. He created humankind. And that is, this is the reality that, that transgender ideology ultimately denies. You see, transgender ideology says, I am God. So I will decide who and how I wish to be. And everyone else is accountable to me. After all, I know me best because I'm me. That, that's the idea. That is the, the center of what is happening in Frankly, what I believe is probably a fad, but nonetheless, it is destroying lives. It is destroying lives in the moment. So we begin here. God created us. All anthropology begins here. I am a created being. God created me. 
But it's not just that God created me. He created me in his image. That's our second point. Of all that God created, human beings or mankind. By the way, that's the meaning of the word man there. Do you see that word in the word man in 26 and 27? It, 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 the meaning is humankind, human race, human beings. He created human beings. And human beings alone are created in his image. You'll notice up in verse 21 through 25, there's another rhythm. Yes, there's the rhythm of God creating. He is creating things. But as well as he creates, there, there's this phrase that, that, that is repeated three times in verses 21 through 25. When he created, when he created the fish of the sea, he created them according to their own kind. When he, when he created the birds of the air, he created them according to their own kind. When he created the livestock and the beasts and the creepy crawly things of the earth, he created them according to its kind. But the pattern is broken when it comes to man. Man is different. We are created, as it says in verse 27, in the image of God. The pattern stops. The mold is tossed out, and there is a new mold when man is created. We are the Imago Dei, if you will, meaning we bear his likeness. To be created in the image of God means that we reflect the nature. We reflect the essence of God in very real and profound ways. We, we are like God in many ways. Study the, there are the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. We are created in God's image and yet there are, there are, there are things about God that we are not like him. No one here is omnipresent. But the communicable attributes of God, those ways in which we are like him, and it's not just that we bear his image, it's that we represent God. This text goes on, and that's what it's talking about, having dominion. We, we, we represent God on this planet. In a sense, we are a living analogy, if you will, of God. Imperfect because of sin, yes, but still image bearers of the divine being, redeemed by the power of the cross and being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Herman Bavinick said, the entire world is a revelation of God, a mirror of his virtues and perfections. Every creature is in its own way and according to its own measure, an embodiment of a divine thought. But among all the creatures, only man is the image of God, the highest and richest revelation of God, and therefore head and crown of the entire creation. This, this understanding of the human race is, is significant. It, it means that we are set apart from the rest of creation. I am not an animal. <laughs> I am set apart from the animals. We are set apart from the rest of creation and we are objects of God's special love and affection 
and care. Yes, he is redeeming all of creation. Groans, Paul says. And certainly in the church age, God is redeeming all of creation. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But our redemption, oh, our redemption stands alone. In Jesus Christ, God has set his affections on you. We heard this morning, in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. This reality of being created by God in his image, it's, it's, where we, it's where we drive our, it's the source of our dignity and our value and our worth. That's why we hate abortion. It's why we love the sinner. It's why we believe in a biblical equality. Because all of that is rooted in this reality that we are, we are image bearers of God. If you want to learn more about that, sign up for STU. We're going to be talking about the doctrine of man and what happened, the doctrine of sin. But this morning, being created by God in his image, yes, it, it undergirds this whole series. We got to keep going back to these verses But these realities are particularly significant in the fight against transgender ideology because here it explains why God is so intimately involved in the forming of our bodies. And that's our third point this morning. God God created us. He created us in his image, but he created us as male and female. Man or woman, neither is inferior. Before God, you stand equal in value, worth, But yes, there are differences. And we see, we see a very real difference that is essential to our existence right here in verse 27. Look at it one more time. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That final line, male and female, he created them. Next week, we're going to look from Genesis 2 at the God-ordained differences in roles between men and women. Their masculinity and femininity, if you will. But the God-ordained differences here in verse 27 is about our gender. The word man in verse 27, as I said earlier, is the same as verse 26. It means human, mankind or human beings. It, it is not gender specific. But the terms in verse 27, oh, they're different. Male means man, me. Female means woman. Given verse 28, as you continue to read, where God then commands immediately man and woman to be fruitful and multiply, it reminds us that those terms in verse 27 that go before verse 28, well, now they have a literal connection to the male and female reproductive organs. They can't be disconnected. And so not only does this make gender essential to humanity, but it reveals the intentionality of God in our biology. It's where we go in the argument. Genesis 1, 27. And these different, this idea that God is intimately involved in 
even your biology. It's emphasized repeatedly in Scripture, isn't it? Job 10, your hands fashioned and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Psalm 119 says, your hands have made and fashioned me. Flip over real quick to Psalm 139. Probably familiar to to, to most of you. Psalm 139. Verse 13. Listen to these amazing words. For you formed me, my, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh-oh, oh, church, that, that's, that's not, certainly that, that there is a connection there that God sets apart his people. We know he sets them apart in eternity past. But there's a sense in which God sets apart his people even in the mother's womb. Romans 9, Esau and Jacob. But it's more than that. It points to his creative, intentional, invisible hand in developing a baby from beginning to end. Christian author wrote, you are the result of the attentive, careful, detailed, creative work of God. Your personality, your sex, your height, your features are what they are because God made them precisely that way. He made you the way he did because that is the way he wants you to be. Now, sir, there's a thing called sanctification, so let's not get carried away with that. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. But but know the context here. Your genes and chromosomes and creaturely distinctives are what they are by God's design. Translation, God is the God of your biology. (laughs) He is. And that begins... That begins, without going into unnecessary detail, I'll let the parents do that. But that begins, certainly, certainly in eternity past. But but humanly speaking, that begins the moment fertilization occurs. The biological sex of a human being is determined in an instant of a moment. You, you, you know the alphabet soup, right? If the fertilization is double X chromosomes, it's a girl, okay? If it is XY, it's a boy. Gender is not assigned by a doctor at birth or by us at some point in time 
in the future. No, we can go to Genesis 127 and we can knit it together with other verses like Job 10 and Psalm 139 and realize that God determines it in an instant of a moment at the very beginning. In the book, The Gender Revolution, it says the ordinary processes of human development within the womb are not merely biology responding to chemicals as guided by our DNA. Listen, to be sure, there are all sorts of things happening in the body. Hormones being released. There are many things going on in that moment. But it's not just about biology responding to chemicals guided by our DNA. It is so much more. Starting from the womb, God creates you to be a sexed person. He gives you the biology of either male or a female. So when you read Genesis 1, when you read Job 10, when you read Psalm 119 and Psalm 139, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made as either male or female, dig deep on that one. Because God is telling you something about himself and something about yourself that shapes who you are, how you should be, and what is good for you. And what is good for those around you according to his perfect purposes for you. Listen, yes, yes, we live in a fallen world. So don't let the argument of deformity or ambiguity of the, of the human body fool you. Yes, we, we, we realize we live in a fallen world. Things go wrong. The effect of sin is that disruptions occur, abnormalities form, development in the womb can certainly be hindered, and even at times to the point of obscuring the physical characteristics that make up a man or a woman. But just as a human being born without arms and legs is still a human being, to quote Matt Walsh, I think that's his name. If you are XX, you are a girl who will grow up to be a woman with the body God wonderfully formed and gave you from the very beginning. If you are XY, you are a boy who will grow up to be a man with the body God wonderfully formed and gave you. And guess what? Nothing can change this God-ordained reality. As a girl, you may be a tomboy. As a boy, you may be a bit effeminate. You can take medication. You can have surgery. You can wear the opposite sex clothes. You can belong to the most affirming family on the planet. Nothing can change what God has designed. 
I was in Starbucks this week, and there was this young lady, maybe early 20s. Um, not sure what was going on. I regret that I did not approach her. I thought numerous times I should go, I should go talk to her. I didn't. Fear of man set in, and I decided not to. No condemnation. <laughs> My fear of man is nailed to the cross of Christ. But I pray next time the Lord gives me the boldness <laughs> to speak up. But this young lady was catching everybody's eyes. She looked like a girl. But she had painted, I'm assuming she had painted on, this thick, black, coal black mustache. It was a big, thick one. It wasn't like mine, this little thin thing you can't even barely see. It, it was all the way down. And my heart broke for her. Now, I, I don't know why. She did that, I guess I'm assuming, but it's probably a safe assumption giving our culture. It doesn't change who she is. You can make changes. You can make many changes, but you can't change your DNA. You can't be born in the wrong body, that there is no spectrum Social constructs are not determinative. We, we, does everybody remember Mr. Potato Head? Actually, I think they canceled Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> but you remember it had the little holes. And you had the Mrs. Potato Head and the Mr. Potato Head. And you had the, the different parts that you plug in. You remember that? We are not Mr. Potato Heads. You can't just remove parts and put new parts on. Well, you can actually, but it doesn't change who you are. The illustration of somebody that I read this week, we're not Legos. Just rearranging the shape and you might be able to pull things off and pull things on, but, but it doesn't change who God has made you. The body you are born with is determined at fertilization, and God is the God of your fertilization. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the secret place of your mother's womb. You have no say in the matter. We hate that. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's been established. It's been established by a sovereign God. And no one and nothing can change that because the God who determines your gender does not change himself. Christopher Wan said, being created in the image of God and being made male or female are essential to, to being human. Sex is not simply biological or genetic, just as being human is not simply biological or genetic. Sex is first and foremost a spiritual and ontological reality created by God. Being male and female cannot be changed by human hands. Sex is a category of God's handiwork, his original and everlasting design. Should that not be a source of wonder and awe for us? Should it not be something to cause us to rejoice? And that's what the psalmist was doing. 
as he considers that God knit him together in, in his mother's womb, as he considered God's providential hand, the intimacy and the attention and the carefulness in which God made him, he broke out in that phrase, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is not a statement about himself. That is a statement about the God of his body. It is a statement about the God of his biology. He is simply responding appropriately in worship. His worship was penned out for us in that glorious phrase so that we would have it today. And as we live in a world that is going crazy, that is in distress and despair over who they are, it's an identity issue. We can stand and say, I know who I am. I know where I came from. Yet for many, it's not. Why? With two words. Sola affectus. Or you might say feelings alone. <laughs> that, that, that's really, when you, start to, when you start to peel the onion, that's what's happening. Listen, transgender ideology is the idolatry of subjective feelings. We live in a society both outside and inside the church where what you feel is what you are. I feel like, therefore I am. We, 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 we have assigned authority to our fickle feelings, regardless of science and, and, and biology, regardless of theology. And we, listen, listen, you might be sound in your gender, but we do this in so many different ways, don't we? We charge God, we accuse God, we walk away from God, we choose sin over righteousness because we feel a certain way. That's at the heart of what's going on in our culture. Carl Truman says, people who think they are a woman trapped in a man's body are really making their inner psychological convictions absolutely decisive for who they are. And to the extent that prior to coming out, they have publicly denied this inner reality, to that extent, they have had an inauthentic existence. This is at the heart of the transgender ideology. My heart tells me I've been living a lie. And I'm done. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. Why? It's not what the biology says. It's not what the science says. That's not what your DNA says. I know, but it's what my heart says. It's what I feel inside. And the authority for my life is what I feel, not what is real. That's dangerous. And listen, by the way, Remember, we do this in different ways in our own lives. Let's not lose sight of that. So perhaps the conviction for you is this morning, yeah, I'm doing this with, <laughs> for you fill in the blank. I'm being guided by the way I feel. 
But in terms of the transgender ideology, it's dangerous and destructive because it's demonic. It's playing God. People are following their hearts all the way to castration, mutilation, and deep regret of a merely perceived reality. And you know what? Scripture clearly warns us, doesn't it? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceptive above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, when my kids were growing up, Don and I told them all the time, uh, don't trust your heart. And if you decide to, make sure it's pointing in the same direction Scripture is. <laughs> you know what? There's good news in all this, though. There really is. I know it's in our face. I know it's ugly. I know it seems like it's just consuming our culture. I know it's creeping into the church. There's good news because God has the final word. He has spoken into the chaos and confusion with the final word. You are who I created you to be, and I never make mistakes. Submit your feelings to that. I created you. You are created in my image. You bear my nature in profound and glorious ways. And I am perfect in my essence. I never make a mistake. Subject your feelings to that. God has spoken into our darkness and depravity through the light of Jesus Christ. God made flesh who through his perfect life, death and resurrection and ascension is my unfailing identity and self-worth. He is who I am. <laughs> My, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I will be one day is wrapped up in the perfect man. And yes, Jesus was a man. <laughs> His biology was a man. And he says, I created you. You turned from me but I'm redeeming you because I love you. Come to me with your dysphoria. Come to me with your distress. Come to me with your misguided identity. Come to me with your striving for purpose and value and worth. Come to me I, I, I hung on a cross so that you could come to me. I gave up my life so that you could have life as my Father created you, which is where you will always find joy and purpose. Come to me, Jesus says. Don't try and be who you aren't. Lay your burdens down. Lay your misplaced longings down. Humble yourself. Come to me. It's the story of the Bible. As we read in Genesis 2 and then Genesis 3, sin entered God's perfect world. And the rest of the Bible 
from Genesis 3 on, from the curse on, and that great gospel promise. that Christ would step on the head of the serpent. He has been redeeming, restoring. Hey, it shouldn't surprise us people are struggling with this. You know, it's so easy for me to be self-righteous. What? Are you kidding me? It's so easy for me to look at this young lady with a thick painted on black. What is your problem, girl? You need to go home to your dad. should surprise me. We live in a fallen world. This is what happened in the garden. Eve said, I feel a certain way. I feel like that fruit will make me wiser. I feel like I can be better than God created me. I feel like I could be something different than God created. My, my knowledge can go farther than God created me for it to go. And so I will take matters into my own hands, not based on the truth of God's word to Adam, do not eat, but based on how I feel. And Satan just came alongside of her and egged her on. He just distorted God's word. He just fed the fire of doubt. And here we are. We shouldn't be surprised. So where do we go from here? Two points of application as we close. First one is this. Put on humility in a very specific way by getting help from your pastor if you struggle with your gender. I'm under no delusion that this room is void of any kind of gender dysphoria, of any kind of confusion. We, 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 we must vigilantly guard our hearts and minds because it's easy for us to underestimate how vulnerable we can be to our culture. Just as no one is out of the gospel's reach, no one is immune to Satan's deception. And if that, listen, for that purpose, a few books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these out on a blog this week. A um, couple books to just continue your study. We're just scratching this. We're just going to the foundation here. Gender Ideology, Outstanding Book, What Do Christians Need to Know? Gender Revolution, A Biblical, Biological, and Compassionate Response. Uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Outstanding, outstanding to understand. You want to re read this one first? <laughs> and actually, at least this one draws from this one. There's some other ones that I'm going to get out to you. But equip yourselves. Guard your hearts and minds first with Scripture and then good books that draw you back to Scripture and present the hope of Christ in your situation. But for right now, listen, if you, if you struggle with your gender, hear me. Your body is not your problem. Your mind and your heart are the problem. Remember, you're the perfect handiwork of God. Genesis 1.27. Your body, your biology are beautiful. 
because God gave it to you. Remember Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so ultimately, your battle is not about, I think in the words of Carl Truman, what is a man and what is a woman? That's not the battle. That that might be what you see on TV. That's the famous question right now. Hey, what is a woman? Well, I don't know if I can. That's not the battle. You know what the battle is? The battle is between what is true and real. That's the battle. And reality is found in one place alone, right here. Right here. And science and biology are not opposed to this. The Bible affirms biology. Our biology points to Genesis 1.27. This is where the fight begins for you. Think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, transgender ideology, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's where it begins. Believe what God has spoken. He has given you the final word. Believe what he has spoken about your gender in his word. Look to Jesus for your identity by faith and find your hope, not in your feelings, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God towards you. Second, pursue with compassion those caught in the evil destruction of transgender ideology. I'll be clear on this. We should passionately hate transgender ideology. It's, it's demonic. It denies God. It destroys, li- destroys lives. And frankly, it is a false gospel. People are looking for hope. People are looking for identity. People are looking for an inner peace. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ provides that. And so transgender ideology is a false gospel. We should hate it with a passion. But we should be compassionate toward those who are captive to it. And they are captive. They are enslaved. The prince of the power of the air has a grip on their minds and their hearts. And only, only the work of God, only the illumination of God, only the regenerating work of the Spirit can free them. And so we, we are compassionate toward them. They are just like us, created in the image of God. And remember, their controversy is not with you. It's with God. Their beef is not with you. Oh, it may come across that way, but ultimately, it is with 
God. They need Jesus, and we are called to, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love to them. If I can have the worship team come up. We had a, a father, a husband, who came to our church, I don't know, eight months ago, came for about six weeks. Some of you may have met him. Remember the first day when he walked in the door, he said, Pastor, uh, it's really important to me that my family goes to church together, including my adult son. But my adult son, is, he's, we believe he's a Christian, but he's transitioning to a woman. And we have been rejected church after church after church that they don't even want us in their building. Um, I would like to talk to you about my son. I said, sure. You contact me whenever you want. number of weeks went by. He kept coming. And one day, we finally got to talk. And he said, will your church accept my son? Or will you run him out like the other churches? And I remember just saying, listen, we're not going to reject your son. Here's what's going to happen. We do believe that your son is walking in sin. We do believe that, that his thinking is not in accord with Scripture. And that would be concerning to us. Let your son come. I'd love to sit down and talk with him. He says he's a believer. I'd love to open up God's word with him. I want to see where he's coming from. I want to see how he's justifying this. I know he's wrong because I see it in Scripture. And so I also want to show him what I believe what he's doing is sinful. And it's harming him. And it will only put a wedge, if indeed he's a believer, between him and God. I said, we're not going to reject your son, but we're going to speak truth to him. Truth is good. It, truth is right. Truth is beautiful. Truth is loving. It is all of those in one because truth, God is truth. And God is infinite in his beauty. He is infinite in his goodness. He is infinite in his righteousness. He is infinite in his love. And so all of those things, they come together as a unit because they flow forth from God. We are never in a bad place when we speak truth in love to others. We are never in a bad place when we tell somebody with grace and humility and compassion that they are living a lie. It's how we do it. And so I said, yes, bring your son. But we want to help him see the errors, what he's doing. Well, he didn't like that. He had a few choice words for me, and he hung up. And now Sovereign Grace Church might be in that group. He interpreted that as being ostracized by the church. Listen, we, we hate transgender ideology. But we, we compassionately and courageously pursue those caught in it with the love of Christ which isn't just a pat on the shoulder, which isn't just, well, God, you're judge, not me. 
No, pursuing them with the love of Christ is pursuing them in a way that says, I'm a sinner just like you, but Christ has taken care of that. Let me show you truth. Church, God has spoken the final word on your gender. It is not the work of human hands, the result of social constructs, or the fruit of your perceived reality. It is his good, perfect, and immutable handiwork.